0: Welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with me, Susie Chase.
1: Hi, my name is Dr. Stuart Feierland, and my book is The Science of Cooking Every Question Answered to Give You the Edge. I'm a science writer, a cook, and food scientist, and former medical doctor.
0: a science and medical writer, presenter, and educator. Plus, if that's not enough, you're a doctor and teacher. So thank you for coming on my podcast to dispel food myths.
1: An absolute pleasure, Susie. Um, uh, Yes, I do like that glowing introduction. Makes me sound very clever.
0: (laughs) So let's start off with tasting.
1: Yes. I the the thought, most important bit.
0: I always thought that uh, different parts of your tongue detected different tastes.
1: I know. We kinda of taught this at school. Well I was taught this at school. Um, I don't remember just up on the on the wall they were kind of these pictures stuck up with your tongue and you've got the sweet at the front and the, the I think it's the sour at the back um, and the salty on the side. Uh, I always thought that was true, but it's not true. And if you've ever tried it yourself, um, I don't know if you've um, got something salty, um, say like a a salty peanut or something, if you put it in your mouth, it doesn't particularly taste exceptionally salty at any particular point. It just tastes salty. And that's because this whole um, tongue map thing is a complete myth. Uh, It started from – it was kind of um, a case of Chinese whispers where something gets lost in translation. Uh, There was a German scientist in 1901 who was uh, interested in the tongue and how different different parts of the tongue were sensitive and in 1901 he published his paper and he on his paper he did lots of graphs and lots of diagrams and he showed that different parts of the tongue um in the group of people that he tested were slightly different in their sensitivity and he found that say the tip of the tongue was slightly sweeter and um, salty around the edges but what he was he was describing these were just subtle differences very very subtle differences that he wasn't saying that you can only taste sweet at the tip of your tongue Um, but unfortunately Uh, An American textbook writer uh, many years later came over his research, mistranslated it and thought that these were just kind of carefully drawn lines of um, of where um, where your tastes actually are. And so since then, we kind of we've thought we believe this lie that um, this tongue map thing is real.
0: That's crazy, because I do remember seeing the map in school, the map of your tongue.
1: It's a load of rubbish. I mean, you know this intuitively. If you taste, if you ever have a, have a a candy, put it in your mouth, um, it tastes sweet everywhere. There you go.
0: Okay. In terms of taste buds, what's the best temperature to taste food?
1: Okay, I, I, I'll I'll bust you with um, with another myth now because taste buds. When you you look in your mouth and you see the little um little bumps on your mouth, um now. You and I normally you think they're my taste buds, those little bumps on your on your mouth, uh, yep. but they 're not actually taste buds they're they 're called papilli, uh, which means um i think it's it's medical speak I'm not sure if it's Greek or Latin probably Latin um for meaning little nipples and so these are little um little dimples if you like on your or on your tongue and the taste buds themselves are minute and they're round if you can imagine round the edges of these uh, these little nipples and they're, they're minute little bundles of cells um whose job it is to um detect different things that we put in our mouth um, and these cells um, these these taste receptors or taste buds um, the taste buds are essentially just clusters of these cells um, they work best around body temperature, much like everything else in our body works is, is designed to work at about thirty seven and a half degrees c or ninety eight ninety nine degrees fahrenheit um, so in just the same way, our taste works best at Body temperature. So if you have something that's very hot, you don't taste it as well. And if something's very cold, you don't taste it very well. But when it's kind of warmish, that's when you get uh, the most um taste from the food, the most flavour. Uh it's the other reason why ice cream has to be super, super sweet. If you ever let ice cream melt, it tastes really, really sweet. And that's because they have to put extra sugar in it and extra sweetener in it because you wouldn't taste it otherwise when it's frozen cold.
0: Huh. Now, what about with hot peppers?
1: Ah, uh, hot peppers. Now, hot peppers, um they are tricking your taste buds into feeling um hot pain. Uh, There are particular um, nerve um, endings, nerve receptors, that are are responsible for detecting when you put something scorchingly hot in your mouth that's kind of hot enough to to sort of 50 degrees C hotter that's that's actually in danger of scalding your mouth. Uh, These nerves, they're responsible for detecting that. Uh, But uh, the substances um, in chili, chili peppers, uh, called capsaicin, and the other similar chemicals, cat, cat, um, they um, they're like a toxin. They kind of they go into your um, into your tongue um, and they latch onto these these pain recepting nerves and they make them fire and so it feels just in the exact the same as if you've just had something that's really hot in your mouth. If you are serving it at a hot temperature, the, the hot temperature of the food combined with this um, illusion of of scaldingly hot pain uh, will make it taste even worse or hot or if you like chili hot then that's good for you.
0: Unless we're vegetarian we're all buying chicken and beef what should we look for in white meat and red meat at the butcher or grocery store?
1: Uh, Sometimes the things that we're that we're taught to look for especially if you do supermarket shopping aren't um, always completely right. So we're told to look for very red, pinkish meats and very white fat. Uh, but that isn't necessarily good. That isn't necessarily the best, um, the best thing that you should be looking for. So if a fat is slightly yellow, uh, that may well just be reflecting its diet. Um, and likewise, if the meat is looking darker on the edge's starting to look a bit brown, then that may well be just because it's uh, being aged so so ideally, you need to use all your senses, so you need to kind of um same for 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 red meat and for for chicken is to is to feel it if you can or get the get the butcher to handle it and white meat like chicken will um start to get a bit uh gluey and kind of tacky and um and it, it should be nice and, um, firm and bouncy, but not kind of d- doesn't have, do, do you know what I mean? When you get that kind of that, that slickiness on it, that, that means that, yeah. um, that means that there's, there's bugs growing basically. Um, so that's a definite no, no. So um, if yeah. we,
0: if we find beef with a yellow hue, what does that, what does that mean? It's eating.
1: So yellow hue, um, can suggest that it's grass fed meat, um, so, so, what you're seeing is there are substances in the in, in the grass, in the vegetable diet that's coming out in the fat. So, if you've ever eaten too many carrots, or you've seen a kid that's eaten too many carrots, they go kind of orangey colour. That's because of all the the, the carotenoids um, in the in the vegetables that they're eating. It kind of shows through in the skin. In the same way, if um, your your cow is not just eating grain, but is eating a variety of vegetables and uh, vegetables, lots of grass, then that will come out in their fat. And so you have this kind of yellowish uh, hue to the
0: fat. In 2008, you were diagnosed with a malignant brain tumor and Mm. had successful surgery. Thank goodness. Let's talk about brain food. Why is fish brain food?
1: Yes, I uh, don't know exactly where this um, this kind of this old wives' tale came from. As fish is brain food, I remember my mum uh, always used to tell me to eat your fish; it's, it's brain food. The earliest record I can find of it is from the novelist P.G. Woodhouse, um, so like hundred years ago or so, uh, was writing appeared in his novels. So it's clearly quite an old um, kind of idea, and I've been. I guess, very fortunate to have had, um, to, to have, not to have had a brain tumour, but to have survived a brain tumour thus far, because um, it's given me the opportunity to, to do completely different things like leave medicine and embark upon this exciting career in uh, food science and cooking and writing books and things like this. And one of the reasons why fish are good for our brains is because of the fats that they have in them. And uh, if you're a bit of a foodie or you read your um, health eating websites, you'll probably have heard of omega-3 fats. Uh-huh. Um, I, presume, I presume omega-3 fats, that's kind of a sort of a thing that, you know, you hear it's kind of advertised everywhere. Um, and these are particularly important for brain health. Um, within your brain, there's lots of uh, nerve fibres. Uh, these nerve fibres, they're like electric cables, and each of the electric cables has um, has like insulation around it like um, like your yeah, electric cable has a has a plastic coat going around it the same thing and and the, and the coat that's around our nerve fibers our brain cells the things that do our thinking uh, a fatty layer called myelin and important building block of this myelin is this fat that we find in oily fish that's called omega-3 uh, and there are a variety of other fats as well. So that's one of the things that's important in fish, particularly oily fish, because that's a, a nutrient that we need to to help um, our brains regenerate themselves or rather than to keep this insulating layer really healthy. Um, And there's research to show that these omega-3 fats that we get in in fish are good for a whole variety of things. Uh, There is bits of research to show that it's good for uh, memory in old age. Um, There's some evidence, although, I mean, some of this isn't completely conclusive, but there's some evidence that it could uh, delay Alzheimer's. There's definite evidence that if you've had a traumatic brain injury, then omega-3 can help that to repair and to recover your cognitive function. So... Oily fish, fantastic food.
0: You have a super informative chapter called Kitchen Essentials with guides to knives, pots, pans, and utensils. Give us some information on the good old serrated knife.
1: So your serrated knife, um, unlike other knives, they're cut in a, in a slightly different way. If you look at the side of your serrated knife, you'll see they're kind of like these scalloped edges uh, and it goes down to individual points. So um, when you put your knife in, they're, they're brilliant for kind of cutting into smooth um, smooth foods like your, your tomatoes or, um, I don't know, say you've got a piece of fruit that you're going to cut into or, or, even, or your piece of bread that you're cutting into because the, the surface of a piece of bread is, is quite smooth. So when you cut in those little points, they put in, uh, they pierce the food. Um, all the pressure that you're pushing down with your knife goes into a very small area and you pierce the food in those in those tiny little points. And then as you pull towards you and push against the, the scalloped edges of those blades, they're very sharp, um, just like any other blade. And so you're actually slicing into um, into the food from these tiny, tiny little points that you first make. And so the more points that you have the less pressure you're able to put down into the food. Does that that make sense? Totally. Okay, cool.
0: Why is it safe to eat rare beef but not rare chicken or rare pork?
1: It's uh, how the meat is handled. Beef is uh, relatively expensive and uh, it's a big animal and it tends to be handled quite well, the, the meat. Um, Whereas if you look at chicken, you can go onto YouTube and be horrified by how uh, many um, meat handling um, and slaughterhouses um, uh, process their animals and their meat. It's all quite horrifying if you look at that stuff. Um, But because the chickens are small and they're often not handled well, is the the pathogens, the the bugs, the nasty bugs that make us unwell – um, can spread all over the meat, and a lot of these tend to come from uh, from the poop of the animal and so if you've got all these chickens, you're not handling them very well, you're throwing them around, then essentially the bacteria infested poop can spread all over the meat. And um potentially any just you know a tiny fragment uh, t- you know just a, a handful of bugs to be left on there after it's been butchered and washed and all the rest of it um, to cause a nasty nasty um food poisoning infection, whereas a, a cow um you don't have that problem uh, as I say, you look after them better uh, and the same with with pigs you don't have that same problem um and because the cuts are, are bigger, so your, your steak, for example, it's a bigger cut. So everything on the inside of the flesh, there won't be any bugs there at all because it's only the surface that you've got to be worried about. Your steak, for example, your beef, uh, you would sear it, um, uh, cook it all over before you eat it. Um, and so if there are any bugs on there, you've killed them all when you've been cooking it. Uh, but with chicken, because it's handled so poorly and... And if you've got a chicken breast, maybe in the way it's in the way it kind of the, the meat folds over, there's a possibility that you won't completely cook, cook, cook all the entirety of the surface. surface. And you only need a tiny bit for it not to be cooked for um, a bit of contamination there to make you very, very sick. Um, so that's one of the reasons pork has historically um, harbored a worm that, uh, that lives within the muscle itself. So whereas most meats are safe if you sear them on the outside, um, pork, if it's infected with this nasty worm, which if you eat it, it will um, actually infect you from inside your intestines. It wriggles in through the walls of your intestines and will infect you and go into your muscles. Um, So because it's actually in the muscle of the pig, It doesn't matter how much you cook the outside, unless it's cooked all the way through, there's chances that those worms and the worm eggs could be alive inside. Quite nasty. And Mm. so for that reason, we've always said, cook it till it's cooked all the way through. And my mum used to always cook pork to within an inch of its life. Um, So in (laughs) the pork chops, when they're just kind of leather (laughs) <laughs> yes. uh, that was the that was what I was brought up on, and so I've always hated pork. Until as an adult, I've realised that you don't have to cook pork that way, and in fact now you don't have to worry too much about cooking pork. Um, so it's even if it's a little bit pink on the on the inside, because essentially, unless you're importing your your pig meat from uh, the developing world. The worm infections are eradicated in uh, in America and in Europe.
0: So I will name six vegetables, and you'll mm. tell us if they're better <laughs> raw or better cooked and why.
1: Excellent, okay.
0: Let, let's it's kick like, it off.
1: It's like, it's, it's like the quiz.
0: Right, it's like, it's I just like need some theme music.
1: <laughs> you can add that in later, I'm sure.
0: And a buzzer.
1: <laughs> and, oh, yes, yes, need a buzzer.
0: <laughs> so let's kick it off with carrots.
1: yes. Oh, yes, my answer. Carrots are better cooked. Carrots are better cooked. Uh, And that's because uh, when you cook them, you release more of um, these uh, health-giving substances called carotenoids. So, yes, you should cook your carrots, although I do like raw carrots. I do too. Yeah, you can eat them. You can have them both. But if you're going to only eat them one way or the other and you want to know which is nutritionally the best, then carrots are best cooked. You get more of the nutrition out of them cooked.
0: Okay,
1: garlic. Garlic is better raw, unfortunately, because raw garlic breath is particularly repulsive, but it is better for you raw. And the reason for that is that there's um, an enzyme in it called allicin, which is very good for you. Garlic is extremely good for your, for your heart. But the more you heat it, the more you cook it, the less of this very beneficial enzyme that is in your garlic. So it's better raw. Or if you're going to use it, um, don't cook it until it's brown and completely dead. Wow, that's a tough one. Garlic, that's that garlic thing that lingers with you, isn't it?
0: Yeah, for days.
1: Yes, yes, that's right. Yes. I I could tell you why that is, but I won't bore you. (laughs)
0: Broccoli.
1: Yeah, okay. Um, (laughs) Broccoli. Broccoli. Um, There is an enzyme in broccoli uh, that gets destroyed when you cook it uh, called myrosinase, uh, called myrosinase, uh, (laughs) that has has anti-cancer properties. So broccoli, for that reason, is better raw. Although I must say that if you're eating vegetables full stop, that's a good thing. Um, so, you, you shouldn't say, oh, I can't eat that because that broccoli has been cooked. It's just that there are benefits, particularly with broccoli, of having it raw.
0: Tomatoes.
1: Tomatoes cooked.
0: Tomatoes, C- sorry.
1: Cooked. Oh, yeah, t- oh, sorry. Yeah, I, that came out, didn't it? Tomatoes. Tomatoes. Uh, yeah, t- T- tomatoes tomatoes are how did that sound tomatoes <laughs> english, i like tomatoes person, better tomatoes an english person trying to say tomatoes um like like an american style tomatoes uh, are better cooked or tinned or pureed when something is is canned uh, it's it's cooked um uh, so it makes it sterile which is why food lasts so long if you get it if you get it canned or tinned um and there's a substance in tomatoes called lycopene. It's an antioxidant, so it helps your body fight disease and fight cancer. And the levels of that lycopene go up hugely whenever you cook it uh, or you process it in any kind of way. So tomatoes, uh, better cooked. And if you want to get your lycopene dose, then just get some tin tomatoes or put in a squirt of um, tomato puree into whatever you're cooking. Onions. Like garlic, better raw. Um, although your partner probably won't like you for it. Uh, they contain um, antioxidants in them uh, that contain uh, sulfur. They're, they're also, when you when you chop onions, um, the reason why your eyes uh, water is because you've got sulfur-containing substances that are going into the air and hitting your the, the liquid on your eye are making you cry. But these substances, these sulfur-containing substances um, are good for you, and so it's better if you have the onion raw.
0: Asparagus.
1: Asparagus is better cooked, and that's because when you're cooking, it makes a, um, a cancer-fighting substance called ferulic acid. It makes it easier for the body to absorb. So asparagus, better cooked.
0: The other night, I used your tips for roasting firm and crispy vegetables on page 156. First of all, I cracked up when you sent me the message asking if I preheated the oven. Because I was like, does he know me? Because I forgot to preheat the oven.
1: Oh, did you? So that, cra- oh. that made me
0: laugh. No, but I preheated it and waited. But do I many did- people forget to preheat the oven?
1: I would say most people do and it's a okay, hard yeah. one. Yeah, and, and it's a hard one because we're very energy conscious now, uh, and we don't want to just leave things on unnecessarily. But if you want the best results out of, um, I mean, really, whatever it is you're putting into the oven, it's always a good idea to, to preheat it. Um, and when I mean preheating... Uh, I mean, you've got to let it get to temperature for about 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, because what you're doing when you're preheating is you're not just heating the air, you're heating the metal walls in there. So when when you turn it on, the thermostat clicks off as soon as 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 the air temperature reaches whatever you've set your oven temperature to. Um, But actually, the, the, the metal walls in there are still cold. So when you open the door, the hot air rushes out. Um, and because the oven walls are still cold, when you close it again, it takes a long time for it to get back up to temperature. So that's why it's a good idea to preheat it. And the other thing is that those hot um, those hot walls radiate a lot of heat inwards. If you've ever put your hand inside of the oven when you're trying to get anything out when it's really hot, um, it feels warm, but it's but it's but your hand doesn't burn and most of the heat that you're feeling there is from the 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 heat that's being blasted in from those hot walls that's being radiated in like a like your 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 heating radiator in your room the same thing is happening so if you don't preheat your oven you're not getting that cooking intensity on the food that you're putting in there so if you want something to cook properly uh, and cook in good time you should preheat it leave it for 15-20 minutes that gets up to temperature or your oven might have some recommendations based on Uh, particular model.
0: In addition to preheating the oven, you have four steps uh, to roast perfect and crispy vegetables. And Mm. the first is to cut the vegetables evenly to uh, arrange them loosely on the roasting pan. And step three, which I think is the key, was to briefly cover to trap the steam. And then the last step is to uncover to crisp.
1: And the key part of it is the covering. So the fifteen minutes of covering, uh, because what you're doing there is essentially steaming the um, the vegetable pieces uh, in in it, it, when it's covered in the in the foil. If you have it open, you're dehydrating your food, which is why it's so easy to let food go dry when, when we're roasting it. We're trying to activate in the in the vegetable pieces a protective enzyme. Uh, it's an enzyme called PME. And when you heat a vegetable between 45 and 65 degrees C, or that's 110 to 150 degrees Fahrenheit, this enzyme gets switched on permanently. And it goes to work strengthening the the internal structure of the vegetable cells. So there's a, a pectin glue that holds the vegetable cells together and it strengthens those so that if you can cook your vegetables briefly, at a fairly lowish temperature to turn on that enzyme. When you roast it, they don't go limp and floppy and horrible and get slimy.
0: Well, my veggies turned out lovely. They were so good. And you can see them on Cookery by the Book Instagram, uh, the Facebook page, and my Twitter.
1: It's important. That's what social media is for,
0: right? So- to show photos. My, my perfectly <laughs> roasted vegetables.
1: Excellent. Yes.
0: Now, where can we find you on the web?
1: On Twitter, or Instagram, or um, any of those things like that. Um, my handle, my nickname is Real Doctor Stew. So it's R-E-A-L Doctor, spelled D-A-C-T-O-R, and then Stew S-T-U. Uh, and if you go to realdoctorstew.com, uh, I've got a blog there. Uh, Or you can just Google my name and you'll probably find me. There'll be be something about me doing some silly food science research.
0: If you want answers to over 160 of the most common culinary questions, The Science of Cooking will be your go-to book in the kitchen. Thanks, Dr. Stu, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast.
1: An absolute pleasure, Susie.
0: Do you want to chat about Cookery by the Book shows, cookbooks, recipes, and authors? Or post a photo of what you've made out of a Cookery by the Book cookbook? Well, now you can. Join the Cookery by the Book community on Facebook. Search for Cookery by the Book or send me an email at susie at cookerybythebook.com and I will add you to our cookbook community. You can also leave me a review on iTunes, say hi on Twitter. My handle is I am Susie Chase, and connect on Instagram at Cookery by the Book. Thanks for listening to Cookery by the Book Podcast.